morning again. My name is Pastor Eric Schring, and it's my privilege to open God's Word with you. Today we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 5, and I'll read 11 uh, through the end of the chapter. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, that would be great. Otherwise, you may also follow along on the screen. Here's the Word of God, 2 Corinthians 5, starting at 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this post-Easter time, we are really carrying on the same series that I've been preaching since I came here in January. And that is about learning missional practices. And as we move out of Easter, we're moving past knowing our gifts, and we learned our gifts so that we would know how has God shaped me, formed me, how have I been fearfully and wonderfully made, um, such that those gifts would define where we sense we are called to work and live and minister. As we move beyond that now in this post-Easter time, we're going to get into a little more practical stuff, a little more of the how-to. Um, However, this message is on knowing the story, and I don't know how practical you find knowing things is, um, but I'm, I'm kind of brought back to a little article written by Al Walters, uh, Dr. Al Walters, that's called Ideas Have Legs. And just from that title, knowing things properly, knowing the right thing, shapes how we walk, how we live. Ideas have legs. And so... The reason I want to emphasize our knowing the story, and as Ruthann said earlier in, in the service, um, knowing the whole story, knowing how Jesus fits in, in our entire story, so we're expanding the Easter story into all of life here, and we want to know that story so that we are able to tell it. Now, brief note before I, I go any further, um, I'm always a little hesitant to tell Ruthann what I'm going to preach on, because then she usually nails it in the songs before I get up here, and then I sit here thinking... I don't even know why I need to talk, because um, in Christ alone, 
grab all the theology that I'm going to give you today. And it does it to music, which isn't fair because I can't get near the emotions into you that music does. And so you may have already felt the exact truth that I'm trying to teach today, but I'm going to teach it anyways for those of you who don't like music or learn in a different kind of fashion. So every slide today is going to start with the word no. Um, and so we're going to start by saying we need to know that we don't know. Because I think there's 10 or 11 slides, and if they all start with no, you're going to walk out here going, wow, he wants to know an awful lot of stuff, and I'm not sure I can hang on, on to all that. Rest assured right from the outset, Christianity is not about how much stuff you can put in your head. Right? We were just moved by a very powerful video reading of uh, Psalm 139, right? and those were intellectually limited people. And you recognize that they have faith in abundance. And if you know folks from our friendship community and so on, you recognize these folks have a depth of faith that a lot of us are jealous of. Right? And so the starting point today is knowing that we don't know. A friend of mine loves to say, you don't know what you don't know. And that's worth pausing and thinking about, right? Because um, I've, I've done a fair bit of church consulting, and you go into a church, and usually you'd run, I'd run a event such that we'd ask people, you know, what are the issues, and we'd ask them what are some solutions, and then I'd walk away thinking, well, if we knew all that stuff already, why didn't we already do it? Right? Usually we need someone from the outside, and hopefully it's Jesus Christ or God or the Holy Spirit coming in from the outside and, and going, you know, there's another way to look at this. And Christ coming into this world was someone so other than us that everything he did and all that he was challenges us to think, boy, there's, there's got to be more. And so the starting point for Paul in, in verse 11 here is, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. So the first thing we know is this fear of the Lord. And knowing the fear of the Lord is knowing this sense of awe and respect and amazement at God, which is really saying, I know, as the people in 12 Steps would say, a power higher or greater than myself. I know that God is so amazing, He's so God, that I will never fully understand everything that He has to offer and everything that He does in this world and in my life. Fear of the Lord is a humility that recognizes that I will always be in a place of learning, of wondering, of um, celebrating, but not of fully understanding and knowing. And I think that's worth pointing out because in our tradition we have a uh, we we lean towards the intellectual, and, and I sense sometimes that what we do is we say God is unknowable. We all will agree with that. But He gave us His Word, and since we know how to interpret and read that Word, we know enough that we have all the information that we need, and we do as long as you know that the main piece of information that you need is that God is on the throne and you are not, that God is on the throne and knows all things, that we need to trust Him, we need to depend on Him, we need to lean on Him, we need to know that there's a lot that we do not know and hang on to our humility, humility from there. And yet, we're called, the rest of the verse, to persuade others. We persuade others by pointing to the fact that I depend on someone far greater than myself. I depend on Jesus Christ. I depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't depend on myself and my understanding and my knowledge to persuade you. Second thing we need to know is our insecurities. I read this piece fast when I read the passage originally in the first place. Um, I'm not even going to read it again. Um, you may study this on your own. I just want to point out something from this because I have a lot of other material that I want to teach you. That Paul 
So when I read Jesus in the Bible, when I read the Gospels, when Jesus confuses me, I recognize that that's one of those I-need-to-know-what-I-don't-know kind of moments where I'm going, yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way. Why does Jesus say it this way? Why did Jesus do it that way? What am I going to learn because He's God and He's the Son of God in this world? Paul is a guy like me, right? He was a teacher who was called to lead the church. And like me, he has a whole bunch of insecurity. So if you read this passage, you, you, you're not sure if he's saying, you know, guys, I've got it and you should be proud of me. Or he's saying, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm feeling kind of insecure. And that's because he's a messy person just like the rest of us. And if Paul, the great apostle, could regularly talk about being the least of the apostles and being the worst of all sinners and all of these kinds of things, as well as saying, imitate me because my life is in Christ, that sort of gives us the sense again that we come into this journey of following Christ with a deep recognition we don't have it all together. And we come in with a level of insecurity. And strange as it may sound, that's kind of a good thing because if you don't have any sense of insecurity, you're not going to reach out and depend on the one who can give you security, which is Jesus Christ. So, no, we don't know everything, and no, our insecurities, we're kind of starting with our, our messy stuff. And then this, know the interpretive key. Verse 14 starts, For Christ's love compels us. If you were to ask me, in one word, give me the message of the Bible, I would say Jesus, or Jesus Christ, if you'd give me two that way. If you would give me two words, I would say Jesus' love, Christ's love. If everything that we do leans into and is based on the truth of who Jesus Christ is and how that truth points to his love for us and for this world, we'd probably stay right on the main path that we need to stay on. When we look at the Bible as a book of rules or a bunch of interesting stories, we always need to filter those really good ideas and rules and guidelines and those amazing stories through what's it saying about Jesus and how is it showing us love. Because the message of the Bible is quite simply this. Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to have God's love in human form lived out before us in his very life. And so everything we understand and do in this world um, needs to be filtered through for Christ's love compels us. That's the main message. And then know this, or internalize this. That's another word for memorize. I'm just trying to sneak it in there because no one likes to memorize things. So internalize this verse. That means you're allowed to get a few of the words wrong. That's not the main thing. But get this truth in your heart. Right? So if... Again, and I actually know I'm going to, if I give you way too much information this morning, filter off all the rest of the slides and verses. Take this one and make sure that you know this simple truth. If anyone is in Christ, and I'll unpack that in a minute, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. So if you know the overall story of the Bible, it starts at creation, then there's the fall that messes it up. Jesus restores things, that's what Paul is saying here, and it ends with the new heavens and the new earth. And this passage is telling us, if you are in Christ, again, I'll explain that in a minute, you already are at that new creation, the end of the story. You probably read from left to right, so the new creation should be over here and the old creation over here. Sorry about that. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. If you're in Christ, 
you're part of the new creation already. Put that one in your head as best you can. Then, what does in Christ mean? You need to know what in Christ means, because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. So we're convinced of this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. So often what we talk about Good Friday, we talk about Jesus took my sins on himself and took them to the cross and paid for those sins. And it's sort of, if you think about that, what we're saying is, there's me, and then there's my sin, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to transfer my sin to Jesus, and that's going to go to the cross, but I'm still sitting here. But the real biblical teaching, as Paul puts it here, is what really happened was when one died for all, all of us died. In other words, when Christ was on the cross, it wasn't just our sin that went on the cross with him, it was our very selves. And why is that important? Because we are sinful from birth, we teach. We have sin kind of coursing through who we are. We need our entire self to go with Christ to that cross so that when the resurrection happens, the next line, we also are resurrected as new creations, right? You notice in the Gospels, when Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, he shows up and talks to his disciples through a locked door, right? Most of us on most occasions cannot walk through locked doors unless we actually unlock them and open them. Jesus could because he was so far into the new creation that he was already in that heavenly body, which Paul tries to explain in 1 Corinthians 15, right? When we die with Christ, when we are in Christ, our entire old self goes down with him and our new self comes up with him. Verse 15 says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. It's no longer you living, he says elsewhere, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When we fully experience what it means to go to the cross with Christ and let our entire self, our will, our person go to that cross and die with him, then when we rise up again, we recognize it's not me that's living. It's Christ in me. It's not my plans, my will, my goal. I'm part of the body of Christ, as we call ourselves as church. I am Christ living in this world. The radical statement of the gospel. That is such an important truth that we need to know that it needs to be, it needs repetitive repetition over and over again, just in case that's not redundant enough. So it says it again in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've noticed over the years, and uh, someone said it again to me this week, somehow for most of us, Good Friday is easier to feel and experience and get into than Easter. And I used to think as, as a, a worship leader and a preacher that that's because we put so much energy into Lent and Good Friday that by the time it comes to Easter we have no more energy left. I don't think that's actually true. It's that, it's that it's not hard for us to convince anyone, including ourselves, of what's wrong in our lives. Right? Give me two minutes with any person and I can help them find, if they're willing to be honest, something that's not right in their lives. But the truth that we have become the righteousness of Christ, the truth that we already are the new creation, the truth that in Christ... We already have been empowered to be engaged in an incredible mission in this world. That's a harder one for us to know because as somebody also said to me this week, and by the way, you get bonus points if you write a theological question to me during the week. Okay? I don't know how we're going to keep score, but you do get bonus points if you ask me a theological question during the week. I love them. million-dollar question of the week was, Pastor Eric, 
we had Easter, and we talked about victory over sin and death, but I'm pretty aware that I'm still struggling with sin. What gives? Now, that's my words for it, but that's a brilliant question. Right? Maybe more of you had it. It says here that we have become the righteousness of God, and yet we're waste better at staying at Good Friday where we're going, yeah, I need my sins put on the cross. I need that stuff taken away from me. Right? That's why it's so important to have our identity in Christ because our identity in Christ says, yet not only did my sin go to the cross, I went to the cross. Not only did Christ rise from the dead, in Christ I rose from the dead. I'm that new creation. So the best example of this, and um, our youth director, Brandon, reminded me of this truth a little while ago. Got to give him credit. There is um, a theologian, and I'm not going to quote him because I'm not sure which one it is right now. I can think of two, and I don't want to get it wrong. Um, who's basically said this. Jesus' resurrection, Good Friday and Easter, the first time when it happened, was like D-Day in the Second World War when the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy and made a beachhead, it was called, in France. Right? The day that they landed there, the tide had turned, the war was won, and people knew that it was going to be over, but it took quite a while yet before they got to VE Day, the Victory Day, when all things were cleaned up, when there was a treaty signed, when things were, when there was a surrender, when all those things took place. We live in that in-between time. On the cross, Jesus won the victory. On the cross, it is finished, was true. On the cross and in the resurrection, we become the righteousness of Christ. But the full and final experience of that is what we're working ourselves into now. We know that victory is going to be won. It's our job to con- continue to walk forward, march forward, if you will, to use the, the war kind of language. We need to march forward until that final mopping up has finally and fully taken place. And that's the return of Christ. But make no mistake, we are in Christ the righteousness of God. We are in Christ allowed to be fully confident that He has won this victory also for us and that we then can live in that kind of bold confidence. What I'm suggesting is we sometimes live um, lives a little bit too negative on ourselves, a little bit too focused on what we aren't doing right yet, and a little under-focused on, yeah, but in Christ I'm already there. In Christ I can look forward. In Christ I can anticipate that all these things will be made new in me as well, and I will experience that fullness. Probably what I'm saying is we need to celebrate our Easter moments a little more fully, a little more regularly. Every time you find yourself um, being more true, more honest, more vulnerable, more humble, um, recognize and celebrate, oh yeah, that's Christ in me. I'm on this journey. right? I am that new creation. Because in Christ, I am a new creation. Know that this is a supernatural seismic shift. Supernatural seismic That's just to make sure you're still awake. Supernatural means it's from God, not from us. Seismic is basically earthquake. Um, shift is what happens when an earthquake happens. Things move. Jesus' resurrection from the dead actually right, connected with an earthquake, the rolling away of the stone. There's the tearing of the veil of the temple, right, or the curtain in the temple. But spiritually... Jesus' resurrection from the dead totally changed the direction of history. Because up to that point, sacrifice was about we need an equal sacrifice to pay what went wrong so that we can move forward on a new slate and then we'll have to do that again when something goes wrong. The seismic shift that happens in Jesus Christ 
is that we are now a new creation. And so, this line is from Paul. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And we'll start with the second line. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So, Paul, before he became the great apostle, Paul, before his conversion, he was a Pharisee and a persecutor of followers of Jesus. He looked at Jesus as a man, and merely a man. And like I said last week at Easter, Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic, or he was the Lord that he said he was. He was nowhere in that middle ground. And so Paul, believing that he wasn't the Lord, he wasn't the Savior, he wasn't the Christ that he said he was, was right in understanding then that he's not those things. He's either a liar or a lunatic. And the cross actually makes sense in that context. But since Jesus is the Son of God, since he was raised from the dead, Paul, in his conversion, came to see, wait a minute, I need to see him in this supernatural way, not in a worldly way. Based on that, which is the core of Easter, the core of our faith, verse six, the verse 16 starts, let's look at that again. We now regard no one from a worldly point of view. What does that mean? So if in Christ I am a new creation, then when I look at anybody in this world, I see in them, or I begin to see in them, or I should be able to see in them, I'm growing in this, a new creation. Now, we've spent a lot of time in history as the church, as followers of Jesus, putting people into two camps. Those who are in, church people, and those who are out, outsiders, others, or whatever language we use. It is true that there are people who know that they are already in Christ, who have faith, who trust God and follow Him fully, but it's also true that one died for all, Paul says this a few times in his writings, and therefore all have died. You see, it's not our job to bring Christ into people's lives. It's not our job to bring Christ into this world. It's our job to point out that you're missing the fact that in Christ you are a new creation. You're missing the fact that Christ died for you, and in dying for you, and rising again from the dead, he's totally changed the trajectory of history and of life. All right? It doesn't change the fact that we need to evangelize or reach out or connect or make community connections. Right? I'm not undermining that part of, of the gospel. What I want to suggest to you is that when you meet somebody, what you need to start looking for is how has Christ already been at work in this person's life? Right? It's not that I need to know everything, I need to explain everything, I think that puts a lot of pressure on us. I need to convince them of all this truth. What I need to do is say, you see how you also don't like what's wrong in this world? How you hate evil? That's the Christ thing. He's already at work in your life. Right? So we have often taken these passages and said, well, often what we've done with these all passages, we've sort of ignored them. We said, well, he can't possibly mean that. He must mean all who believe. Well, if he meant all who believe, he would say that. One man took all of us into the cross. One man took all of us into himself in resurrection. And all of us are part of that. And the ongoing question is this. Are people recognizing it? Are they engaging in it? Are they believing it? That's the faith thing. That's the conversion piece. Are they owning it in such a way that it will change their life? Philippians 2. And, and every knee will bow. On the last day, everyone's going to go, Oh, Christ is Lord. Oh, I'm part of the new creation. Oh, one died for all that all might live. I 
need to be in Christ. That's the final day new bound experience. Our job then, along the way, is to see everybody not from a worldly point of view, not in terms of what their brokenness is, not to look at ourselves in terms of our brokenness, but to look at them with this supernatural seismic shift that's taken place in the resurrection and say, Christ died for you as well. That's the message. Christ died for you as well. Right? Not if such and such and such, then Christ died for you. Christ died for you because Christ died for all. If you would just see and know and enter into the truth that he has brought onto the table. They know about seismic dominoes. It's funny, isn't it, that dominoes is a game where you use little tiles that have numbers on them and you connect them based on those numbers. But most of us know dominoes as those things that you stand up on end and you put a whole bunch in a row and you knock one down and they all fall down. And I'm talking about that one too, the seismic dominoes. There's some probably bad um, comedy movie out there, I think, either that I made this up in my mind, in which Stonehenge is stones of Stonehenge fall down like dominoes. That's the grandeur size of what happened in Christ. Seismic dominoes go like this. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God sent Christ. Christ won the victory. That domino falls, right? Christ calls us to himself. He reconciles us to himself and to God. That domino falls. And as we fall, the person beside us falls. And as that happens, we start this ministry and this trajectory, right? This whole idea of recognizing in Christ, you are the new creation, is recognizing that this new creation is about celebrating all kinds of good, beautiful, true, and powerful things that take place. He reconciled us and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And this, too, is worth repeating, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. There it is again. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Our message is simply this. Did you know that Christ paid for your sins? Did you know that forgiveness is available? Did you know that as you confess, Christ has already taken care of all this, and that in Christ you can be part of a new creation in which this forgiveness relationship with all people in all circumstances can take place? Did you know that that is true already? Christ not counting people's sins against them. He has reconciled. He has restored relationships. He has healed relationships. It is available to all of us in all relationships at all times. And as we continue to recognize our identity in Christ, we become more and more deeply aware that that's what we're about. There's tension between two people in our household. Reconciliation is bringing that together. There's tension between two people on the street. Reconciliation is bringing that together. There's tension between two people at work or two people at school. Reconciliation is bringing those two people together in a healing conversation. That is the hope. That is what we walk into. That is what we lean into each step of the way moving forward. And then know your rank on Christ's team. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors, a representative of an entire country who goes to another country, as though we're as though God were making His appeal through us. In fact, He is. So Paul here is saying He's an ambassador. He's calling us as um, His disciples to be ambassadors. 
And so he says, this is our message. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See that it is true that in Christ you are a new creation. Understand this, own this, accept this, feel this, experience this, and make it that which shapes your conversation with everyone wherever you go. that I've said. Know that you don't always really know or feel all of this, but it's still always true. Back to the awesome question I received by email this week. If we've already had Easter and celebrated the truth that we have forgiveness and healing in Christ, why am I not always experiencing that? Why am I not living in total victory all the time? The fact is, it is true, and that's why I want you to internalize it, that in Christ, you are a new creation. But recognize that just like any amazing gift that we've been given, we need to play with it, experience it, use it, massage it, understand it, own it, lean into it as much as we can until we experience it in its fullest fashion. What I want to emphasize today is it's not that you can explain all of this stuff. I always find it incredibly hard to give you the full understanding of the gospel. It's a complex kind of a thing. But know this. In Christ, you are already a new creation. And as you move forward, if you know that, if you repeat that to yourself, if it becomes your mantra in life that in Christ I am a new creation, that's going to reshape the way you approach every person that you meet. Because you're going to know, I have reconciliation happening inside of me. I've been restored in my relationship with Christ. That is true already. So maybe I should be restored with this person. Or maybe I should reach out to that person and tell them they too can be restored. Maybe I should see as I enter into this complex situation that this too can be healed and forgiven and restored and renewed. We may not always really know and understand or be able to explain or fully feel and experience every step of this, but D-Day has happened and Victory Day is coming and right now we are in Christ a new creation. That is still always true. Lord Jesus, I think we all wish it was just as simple as if I knew this one truth, everything would be okay. But for your reasons, you've made this complex. You've invited us into relationship and into a journey. You've decided that it's important that we struggle with these truths, to live into them as fully as possible and to try and explain them probably so that we would again know that we don't really always know that we would depend on you. And so, Lord Jesus, that's why we're praying right now. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your guidance. We need an ongoing dose of humility that allows us to believe that you love us so much that you did reconcile us to you. You did reconnect us with you. You did forgive us. And in that same humility, we know that we need to take baby steps sometimes leaps, but always just keep moving forward, restoring our relationships with you, with each other, with ourselves, and with your world. Guide us, Jesus. Give us 